This episode of Ridiculous History is brought to you by Uber. Introducing Uber Teen Accounts, an Uber account for your teen with trackable trips and highly rated drivers. Your teen can feel a sense of independence and you, as the parent, can follow their ride on a live tracking map. Yeah, when your teen requests a trip, they're matched with highly rated, experienced drivers and you receive real-time notifications. And, you know, I've actually been using Uber Teen lately to help my teen uh, get to and from various events. The other week, I used it to get them and their friend uh, to and from a concert in Atlanta. And today, they're actually going to use it to get home from a football game. It makes them feel safe, and it lets me know that they're safe. I absolutely love it. And today, you can get 40% off. That's up to $15 off three Uber teen rides. Valid for the first 30 days for new users in select markets. See app for details. Add your teen to your account today. Available in select locations. See app for details. Tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City Branch. Subject to credit approval. Terms apply. Ridiculous History is a production of iHeartRadio. Welcome back to Ridiculous History. As always, thank you so much for tuning in. We're continuing a bit of a zoological theme this week uh, by talking about some animals that are bittersweet to me, camels. Hi, I'm Ben. Hello, Ben. I'm Noel. And uh, uh, dare I say, stop. Camel time. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Anybody? Well, I mean, we should keep going, but yeah, yeah, I, I feel you. Okay, okay, we can continue. We may continue, uh, even after I made that unforgivable uh, MC Hammer reference there. But, you know, if there's one person that won't judge me for a bad pun or joke, it's uh, our guest super producer, Andrew Ahow, super mega cool guy, Deluxe. <laughs> I didn't get that right, but you get the the, the, the spirit of the nickname is there. Thanks, Noel. Uh, hey, man. Thank you, dude. Thanks for sta- standing in when Casey Labouche Pegram is off on adventures in far off lands. Yeah, I think he's either out of lockup now or is in the process of being be- deported back to the U.S. But yes, <laughs> thank you, Andrew Ahow, a.k.a. Cool Guy Deluxe Howard, for joining us uh, for a second episode uh, we did have to talk him back into coming on the show. Uh, his writer is candidly a little bit robust. Uh, so I don't know if we're going to be able to afford you for the next episode. Uh, but, you know, it's the time we have. Right, Andrew? Sounds good. <laughs> we're springing so many jokes on him that uh, we haven't told him about. Yeah, well, it's uh, it's sink or swim and you are flying, my friend. Uh, today's episode camels. I don't know whether either of you guys have ever had close-up, firsthand experience with camels, with dromedaries in general. Uh, have you? Noel, you're nodding your head a little bit. Uh, you know, they, they, they used to have a thing at the zoo, I remember, when I was growing up, where you could ride a camel. Um, and I, I do recall doing that. I can't remember if there was like a like a saddle that was like situated betwixt the humps or if you actually just, it kind of makes a natural saddle really. If you think about it, if it's got two humps, there's a perfect little place where you just kind of sink down as a little kid and just ride that thing. Ah, uh, yeah. I believe those are Bactrian camels. They're the ones with two humps, which always seemed a little cooler to me. Uh, the dromedary, the Somali or Arabian camel, that's the one 
that has one hump on its back. Camels are bittersweet to me because when I was very, very young in Tennessee, there was a thing called Twitty City, which you guys should not feel bad for not knowing about. Conway Twitty, the country singer Conway Twitty, would deck his estate out in all these ridiculous Christmas decorations once a year, and kids from all around the region would go to Twitty City to look at the lights, do holiday-themed family stuff. One of the things you could do was ride a camel. So I rode this camel. I was very young, and part of the uh, part of the experience was that you would get a camel license that, in my mind, authorized you to ride every camel ever for the rest of time. Uh, I promptly lost that, uh, and now all I have is a picture of a very startled-looking child wearing bifocals. I used to wear bifocals riding a camel. So I, I missed that camel license. Help me figure out how I can get one now in my thirties. How'd the camel hold up, Ben? Like in the picture, does he look like he's having a good time or does he look put upon? Oh, he's, he's, he's having a pretty grand old time. Actually. I, I got there while they were feeding him treats or a snack or something. Uh, but the camel this is the important part of the story, I guess. The camel was not mistreated. The the handler, from what I recall, was was very much of the attitude that I am here with this camel and it kind of does what it wants. Don't get near its face because it's cantankerous. But we we know that uh we know that camels are in different parts of the world, right? And we know that the US has a varied uh collection of biomes or ecosystems and it may surprise some of us in the audience today to know that back in the 1850s, the U.S. Army wanted to import camels because they thought, you know, we've got deserts here in the Southwest. People have been using camels to traverse deserts for thousands of years. Why should we be any different? And that is our story today, because once upon a time, no fooling. Uncle Sam actually did import camels from the Middle East and use them in expeditions through Texas and California. What? How did we get here? Who came up with this idea? Well, I'll tell you, Ben. It was an officer in the U.S. Army's Quartermaster Corps, which is a thing. Can Before we p proceed, Ben, what's a Quartermaster Corps? Oh, yeah. it's uh, They're the people in charge of all the quarters. They're not to be confused with the Directory of Dimes or with the uh, the Prime Ministers of Pennies. I'm tickled with this joke. Yeah, Quartermaster Corps. Uh, supplies, lodging, things like got that. Got it, got it. So it could even be sort of, I mean, maybe like, but not necessarily the armory situation. It was more specifically like the person that is in charge of all of the facilities that house individuals, kind of, right? Supplying troops, yeah, logistics. Got it, got it. So this guy's name was George H. Crossman, um, and he proposed using camels back in the 1830s. Um, he believed they would be super helpful, specifically in Florida, where U.S. troops were fighting against the Seminole community. Um, and Florida's, you know, it's a tropical kind of region, a lot of uh, dense foliage and, uh, and sort of uh, harsh conditions at times, um, even though it's thought of as like, you know, a, a vacation destination. It's a lot of like very humid, uh, a little bit oppressive, in my opinion, being there, uh, not at the beach. Uh, it's not particularly pleasant climate. Um, and some of the terrain, like the swamps and the foliage and all that can be a little rough. Camels have a history in the military um, for traversing uh, a little bit uh, challenging terrains and, and for use in cavalry operations. And the U.S. Um, started uh, expanding uh, with that manifest destiny, like moving out west, um, expanding the territories. Uh, after the Mexican-American War, in particular from 1846 to 1848, there was a territory the U.S. acquired that all of a sudden had different terrain than the East Coast and what they were used to. Uh, and that included a lot more arid regions, desert regions. Um, and that's when the U.S. started to establish forts after that war with Mexico and after the annexation of Texas in 1845. Yeah, it's important to note here, George H. Crossman, when he first pitched the idea of camels in the 1830s, was pretty much roundly ignored. His idea went nowhere 
but people remembered it because it was so out there. So it wasn't until, you know, more than a decade later that the U.S. started taking this seriously. And they only took it seriously because they had a tremendous problem on their hands. After the end of the Mexican War, which you just described, Noel, Uncle Sam got these vast swaths of land in the Southwest, and they had not explored it. They had no idea what to do with it. They had no idea how to start exploring it because in their collective mind, there was no real practical way to travel throughout this part of the country. There were no roads and going off any existing trails meant going straight into forbidding terrain, deserts, mountains, etc. cetera. Uh, we also knew that we couldn't take our normal modes of transport because horses, mules, and oxen they need water. They need pastures. They need stuff to eat and drink. Mm -hmm. And this is sparse at best here. In fact, horses and mules tended to die of thirst between known water holes. So of all the kind of beast of burden in the world that the U.S. knew about at this time, camels seemed the only creature that could survive in this environment. And, and they had uh, reports from other militaries that assured them this was viable, right? Well, I mean, even just the casual follower of history and of, of camels, of wildlife, know of them as being referred to as the ship of the desert. Um, and that's because, you know, I, I actually, uh, very mistakenly, I, I bet a lot of other folks did too, uh, thought that those humps that they have actually stored water um, and that they actually, uh, that's somehow a reserve of water for them. And that's not exactly the case. It's more uh, that their metabolisms are really efficient and those humps store fat and and that mm -hmm. contributes to their very, very um, precise metabolism, I guess you could say, mm -hmm. the, that allows them to survive in much more arid climates because uh, they're able to essentially use what little water they do have in their systems very, very effectively. A bit of science here. And I, this is, I hope you like this because I was trying to think of a comparison here, folks. Yes. It's correct. It's a huge misconception about camels storing water in their humps. As you said, Noel, they store fat that they metabolize for nutrition, and they have very, very efficient metabolisms. They can go almost a week without drinking any water. But that's because they have these other things inside their bodies. Their blood cells, if you think about it, are actually like tiny little storage humps on the inside of their bodies. They have this unique oval shape that allows camels to consume up to 30 gallons of water in one sitting. The cells are more elastic. They can change shape more easily. And this also lets their blood flow more easily when water is scarce. So there's a whole system here. You can't, you can't have a camel without the humps. You can't have a camel without camel blood. The point about the military precedent I want to hit here is that the U.S. Army put a lot of importance on things that they saw European armies doing. If the French and the Russians did it, for instance, then the U.S. Army would say, oh, okay, well, that must mean it's practical because they've been around for centuries. The Crimean War had a lot of reports of armies using camels as pack animals to great result. They said that the animals were stronger than horses and mules, and they were also more reliable. And that's part of what inspired Jefferson Davis, the guy who would later go on to be the president of the CSA. Uh, that's not community-supported agriculture. That's Confederate States of America. It, it inspired Jefferson Davis to pitch this idea, to progress the idea of army camels, dare we say, a camel corps. Uh, he was serving as a secretary of war in the cabinet of President Franklin Pierce. And in, in that's when he took the opportunity to try to say, hey, no, really, camels, we can do it. And that's where he essentially made his case to Congress uh, for receiving funding for this program. It's sort of buried the lead a little bit in this uh, kind of lengthy report. But he essentially says that he's been going 
out of his way to do his homework about camels and about the history of camels and military use. Um, and that he has made himself familiar with two different types. The one that we were talking about earlier, Ben, the one humped dromedary or Arabian camel, and then the two humped central Asian camel, which is also referred to as the Bactrian camel, which is the one that I rode at the zoo. Um, and here's a little excerpt from this section. Quote, on the older continents and regions reaching from the torrid to the frozen zones, embracing arid plains and precipitous mountains covered with snow, camels are used with the best results. They are the means of transportation and communication in the immense commercial intercourse with Central Asia. From the mountains of Circassia to the plains of India, they have been used for various military purposes to transmit dispatches, to transport supplies, to draw ordnance, and as a substitute for dragoon horses. And he goes on to talk about Napoleon's activities in Egypt. He goes on to mention French forces in Algeria. And then he says, look, this ticks all the boxes, military purposes, for express, for reconnaissance. This is the animal for us. And so, he says, it is respectfully submitted that the necessary provision be made for the introduction of a sufficient number of both varieties of this animal to test its value and adaptation to our country and our service. It took a year for the rubber to hit the road on this, or should I say the camel to hit the sand. But on March 3rd, 1855, he finally got his wish. A bill for military appropriations included $30,000 in 1855 cash to fund the purchase of camels and to set up a program to sort of pilot them in the American Southwest. For a real quick inflation calculation here, perfect. $30,000 in 1855 is the equivalent of, drumroll please, or maybe some cool like adventure in a desert music. Perfect. $893,451.72. So not a million dollars, but that's, that's probably enough to buy a camel, right? I think you could probably get a handful of camels. What's a group of camels called? Is it a pack? Camel Pack, it should have some specific camel-related name, nomenclature, like a murder of crows. Sure, it's a caravan. Which oh, that, of course it is. Everybody knows that. If you've seen Aladdin, what is wrong with me? A pack of camels is for the smoker crowd. Nah, that's also true. Um, but they actually uh, went, they had to go get the camels. So there was a young naval officer by the name of Lieutenant David Porter, um, who was assigned to command a, uh, an expedition to the Middle East to pick up their camels. Uh, and, and he did that thing. And there was a U.S. Army officer assigned to learn about camels before actually acquiring them. And that was Major Henry. Henry C. Wayne, who went to West Point and was a decorated uh, military man for his uh, bravery in the Mexican War. Uh, he also served in the Confederate Army uh, during the Civil War, but we'll, we'll, we'll give him a pass on that for now. Um, but Jefferson Davis, like, you know, he was a go-getter, man. He really wanted this camel situation up and running quick. So he uh, passed out orders to Major Wayne, um, asking him to go to London and then Paris to find uh, experts, the leading camel experts, to figure out who, what, what kind of camels they needed to get to get all of the inside scoop about camels. And then his, uh, his, Navy man got a U.S. Navy transport vessel, the USS Supply, which then took a, a hot trip over to the Mediterranean um, under the command of Lieutenant Porter. And the two of those folks met up uh, and sailed to various parts of the Middle East in search of just the right camels to buy. What an adventure. Yeah, and this is not like the Nazi horse thievery. They were buying these camels. They were also finding human camel experts. This episode of Ridiculous History is brought to you by Uber Teen. Introducing Uber Teen Accounts, an Uber account for your teen with trackable trips and highly rated drivers. 
This is important stuff. Your team can feel a sense of independence and you can follow their entire ride on that live tracking map. And, you know, I've actually been using Uber Teen lately to help my team uh, get to and from various events. The other week, I used it to get them and their friend uh, to and from a concert in Atlanta. And today they're actually going to use it to get home from a football game. I watch every step of the way uh, from the moment the car's called to when they get in and then I can track their progress to and from their destination. It makes them feel safe and it lets me know that they're safe. I absolutely love it. Mm -hmm. And here's how it works. When your team requests a trip, they are matched with highly rated experienced drivers and you receive those real-time notifications as well as enhanced safety features. That's right. Pin verification, in fact, to ensure that your teen enters the right vehicle. Live trip tracking for parents. Plus, you, the parent, can contact the driver directly from the app. And don't delay. Today, you can get 40% off. That's up to $15 off three Uber Teen rides. Valid for the first 30 days for new users in select markets. See app for details. Add your teen to your account today. Available in select locations. See app for details. Sometimes to get what you want, you have to challenge the status quo and blaze your own trail. We're nothing if not trailblazers here at Ridiculous History. And you know who also is a huge uh, iconoclastic challenger of the status quo, Ben? Who is that, Noel? Well, I think you know. Hmm. It's Harry's. Yes, it's Harry's. They saw customers getting ripped off by all kinds of like slipshod, questionable products in the shaving industry. And they said, hey, you got to be the change. I was excited to try out the Winston set. It's an all-in-one package. You get some shaving cream. You get that great razor we're talking about. They also have deodorant. Yeah, I was about to say. Very helpful. I do really enjoy uh, their line of self-care products. Um, Richly lathering, skin-softening body washes and scents like redwood, wild lens, and stone. You want to know what a stone smells like? I've often wondered. Only you know you can. <laughs> so don't settle for the status quo, folks. Blaze your own trail with Harry's. Get started with a $13 trial set for just $3 at harrys.com slash history. Once again, that's harrys.com slash history for a $3 trial set. There are some stories in Jewish history that are so bizarre, so fascinating, so completely wild that they feel like they're straight out of a movie, but they're all true stories. Join hosts Yael Steiner and Jonathan Schwab on Jewish History Nerds for a new season of intrigue, mystic realms, and bloody battles. In season three of these podcasts, you'll meet an ancient Arabian king who converted to Judaism in a struggle for power, a mysterious author who created amulets and performed Kabbalistic exorcisms, and a can't-miss story of a female Hasidic Rebbe whose story unfolds like a real-life Yentl to challenge societal norms. Jewish history nerds will keep you on the edge of your seat as you learn all about some of the craziest and most amazing yet largely unknown stories that fill Jewish history books. Find out what happened, how it happened, and why each story still matters today. Don't miss Jewish History Nerds Season 3, hosted by Yael Steiner and Jonathan Schwab. Find Jewish History Nerds wherever you listen to podcasts. And so they went around in search of camels and people who were experts on camels. I don't know what the word for camel expert is. Please write in if you if you figure it out. Is it dramadarius? I was just thinking the same thing. Get out of my head. It couldn't cover all the camels, though, because Bactrian camels. Eh, anyway, point is, by February of 1856, the ship is setting sail for America. They have 31 adult camels. They have two calves. And they also have five human experts who have been hired to help tend the camels. The trip had a lot of rough weather, but eventually in May of 1856, they land in Texas and they've only spent some of that 30 grand. They still have cash for the program. So Jefferson Davis looks at Lieutenant Porter and he says, hey, great, great job on the camels. Go do it again. And so he sends the guy out. <laughs> well, at least he didn't, it wasn't his uh, first camel rodeo at this point, right? He, knew it. he knew what he was going for. He'd already like spoke to these consultants. He didn't have to do all of it again. He just had to make another trip because he'd already like figured out what the best camels, where to find them, you know, but, but still I, I, I gotta, I gotta imagine it wasn't quite as simple as that. Cause you know, that's a lot of camels to, do we have a, like a, a total number uh, ben, of how many camels they were going for? Uh, we don't have a total number of how many they wanted because they probably weren't sure until that first trip. 
about how many they could buy with the money they had. So the first trip, he comes back with, as I said, 31 adult camels, two calves, two juvenile camels. And then on the second trip, Porter returns with 44 camels. So all in all, their total camel haul is about 70 camels of various different types. And it's important to note, during that second camel run, I like the idea of a camel run instead of a cannonball run. During the second camel run, they're testing these camels in Texas. And it's going pretty well, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So they start using them for, first they march them from Indianola to San Antonio, and then they start using them for routine jobs, carrying supplies from San Antonio to this fort called Camp Verde, about 60 miles southwest. And then at first, they're over the moon. They say, wow, these camels can carry so much more than pack mules. And as long as we tell the soldiers what to do, and as long as those knuckleheads pay attention, there won't be too many problems handling them. Yeah. The only downside was I think the, we know, you know, horses don't smell great. Camels kind of smell worse, or at the very least, it was a smell that was different enough that it freaked the horses out. Um, so there was a little bit of unrest uh, bringing this new type of, uh, of of animal into the mix, right? Yeah, I believe that's correct. And, you know, horses are already in a very weird situation, so you can't blame them for being skittish. Uh, we do know that these tests were considered successful. The second trip was considered successful for a number of reasons. Uh, camels didn't need as much water uh, or as much food as other creatures. They also didn't need to wear horseshoes. They could just barefoot around. And once the experiments were considered a success by Jefferson Davis, he makes a new report on the project. He publishes it as a book in 1857. This guy loved camels. It's kind of weird that there weren't more camels during the Civil War if he was in charge. And you know what's interesting about what you said, Noel, with the horses not really liking the camels? It turned out that uh, they weren't the only animals. Dogs didn't like them. Cattle were freaked out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, a lot of times they would actually f- cause the horses or mules to like bolt, often carrying with them, you know, cargo attached to these wagons and buggies that were uh, connected to them. Um, and a lot of people weren't crazy about them either, even though they were sort of like a, ooh, ah, kind of a new uh, exotic species. They often would spit in people's faces. Like, I think we saw that in, was that an in Indiana Jones that Campbell spits on Indiana Jones? That sounds right. Yeah, I thought, okay. Andrew says it sounds right. I'm going to go with that. If not, it's definitely in like some Spielberg y type movie where a camel spits in somebody's face. And it's really gross and frothy. <laughs> and uh, it's something that they do. Uh, and this is real gross, y'all. Uh, they would sneeze a lot um, and so violently when done as a herd. Uh, they would actually like cause, you know, the earth to shake is what I'm reading here, which seems a little extreme. But they also, uh, when they got spooked, they would blow a bloody bladder like mass of tissue out of their mouths. Ooh. Uh, speak, I just threw up in my mouth a little bit. Um, and they were really stinky. Mm-hmm. And let's add to that that camels have a mating season. And during the mating season, the male camels just start screaming at each other and try to kill each other. Uh, So that can throw off a standard operation, as you might imagine. Also, other businesses in the U.S., in the South especially, didn't like this new form of competition in the world of shipping. And the rank and file enlisted at Camp Verde thought the experiment was ridiculous from soup to nuts, or should I say from hump to hooves. Still, they made a lot of progress. The thing that worked best about the experiment was, uh, according to this fantastic article on vault.sci.com, the camels themselves. Because, yeah, they didn't smell like Irish springs or zest or whatever, but they could carry these enormous loads and they were super resilient. When a camel knelt, it was loaded with four bales of hay any one of which would have been too much for a mule. And people 
civilians and soldiers alike would kind of gather around in a circle and heckle the camel and they'd be like, ha ha, there's no way this guy can't even stand up with these four big bales of hay. And then it would rise and then they would, they would, you know, there would be a silence for a moment. I'm making all of this up. And then they would erupt <laughs> in riotous cheers, you know, hip, hip, ha camel or hump, hump, hooray. That's good. That's good. Let's go with that one. And then it would follow commands and it would march away on its destination. And this kind of won over some of the Texans because once their livestock started to become kind of acclimated to the weird side of a camel, uh, things seemed like they would go back to normal. One woman in Victoria, Texas, even knitted a pair of socks uh, from camel, I guess we'd call it fur camel pile and sent it to the president uh, and in return he sent her back a silver mug with get this his name on it that's a very self-absorbed gift yeah man i mean that's not helpful at all um but when franklin pierce left office james buchanan became the president uh, that's when jefferson davis left the war department and it was kind of the beginning of the end a little bit for the for the Camel Corps because this, the Civil War was, was soon to come. Um, and uh, in the 1850s, things got pretty bad for the, for the Camel experiment, even though it was really pretty successful and efficient when it was in its heyday. Um, Congress became really uh, focused on this whole like divide over slavery and Jefferson Davis, who had been kind of the, you know, the standard bearer for the whole thing um, started to be much more focused on representing the state of Mississippi in the U S Senate. And as the civil war came closer and closer, the camel thing just sort of kind of fell out of people's, fell out of top of mind. Mm -hmm. um, it was really more of a Texas thing, more of like a regional thing, and it sort of lost its luster. And also there was a thing called the mule lobby, which is exactly what it sounds like. It was, uh, they had lobbyists back in those days, and it was for the mule industry. Um, and they were really anti-camel and pro-mule. Mm -hmm. And Davis had written to his successor, uh, the next Secretary of War, John B. Floyd, and he was like, look, this works. Let's do it. More camels. He was really a camel champion. And Floyd asked Congress to buy another 1,000 camels. But as you said, Noel, for various reasons, this was an increasingly low priority for people. The Camel Corps was still around in Texas, but they were encountering problems. Soldiers didn't like them because they were getting spat on and pooped on. Having bloody masses ejected into their faces. Right. Camel loogies. And that's a scientific term. And then they also uh, hated the smell and they couldn't put them in stables near horses because until a horse had been really thoroughly acclimated to this creature, it would understandably freak out. And in 1860, a guy named Lieutenant Colonel Robert E. Lee might be a familiar name to some people. He used camels on a long-range patrol, and he said, these things are great. Why aren't we using more of these? But then, of course, people were like, ah, if I look at my list of things I care about that begin with a C, Civil War is the first thing that pops up, not camels. So in the 1860s, the Army ends their active experimentation with camels. And the Confederate soldiers who take over Camp Verde in 1861 don't really use them at all during the Civil War. I mean, not very much, because why would they? They're familiar with horses. So people were having a tough time figuring out how they would use the camels that were already stuck in the U.S. A second flock of camels, or what do we call them earlier? I thought uh, it was a caravan. I thought we decided caravan. on a caravan. Maybe a caravan's only if they're in, mo in motion. Maybe if they're just hanging around, loitering camels, then they're a flock. Yeah, yeah. I like a uh, I like a congregation of camels. Yes. A ca cavalcade of camels. A well, quorum of camels, perhaps? There we go. Okay. Yeah. Okay. But still spell it with a C to throw people off. Uh -huh. Exactly. Uh, so there was a second quorum or cavalcade of camels that had been moved out to Camp Tejon, California. There's a lot of Cs right there, my man. <laughs> yeah, a lot of Cs. They were still in the possession of the Union forces. And this second group of camels was repeatedly transferred to different posts throughout the Civil War 
because literally no one could figure out what to do with them. No one could. I mean, that's yeah. What do you, what do you, if you're not like trained to deal with camels and that's a weird kind of boondoggle to have hanging around. It's like, Hey, we got this like surplus camel situation and they're really just kind of hanging around and spitting on people and stinking up the joint. It's like, what, what do you do? This episode of Ridiculous History is brought to you by Uber Teen. Introducing Uber Teen Accounts, an Uber account for your teen with trackable trips and highly rated drivers. This is important stuff. Your teen can feel a sense of independence and you can follow their entire ride on that live tracking map. And, you know, I've actually been using Uber Teen lately to help my teen uh, get to and from various events. The other week, I used it to get them and their friend uh, to and from a concert in Atlanta. And today they're actually going to use it to get home from a football game. I watch every step of the way uh, from the moment the car's called to when they get in and then I can track their progress to and from their destination. It makes them feel safe and it lets me know that they're safe. I absolutely love it. Mm -hmm. And here's how it works. When your team requests a trip, they are matched with highly rated experienced drivers and you receive those real-time notifications as well as enhanced safety features. That's right. Pin verification, in fact, to ensure that your team enters the right vehicle. Live trip tracking for parents. Plus, you, the parent, can contact the driver directly from the app. And don't delay. Today, you can get 40% off that's up to $15 off three Uber Teen rides. Valid for the first 30 days for new users in select markets. See app for details. Add your teen to your account today. Available in select locations. See app for details. There are some stories in Jewish history that are so bizarre, so fascinating, so completely wild that they feel like they're straight out of a movie, but they're all true stories. Join host Yael Steiner and Jonathan Schwab on Jewish History Nerds for a new season of intrigue, mystic realms, and bloody battles. In season three of these podcasts, you'll meet an ancient Arabian king who converted to Judaism in a struggle for power, a mysterious author who created amulets and performed Kabbalistic exorcisms, and a can't-miss story of a female Hasidic Rebbe whose story unfolds like a real-life Yentl to challenge societal norms. Jewish history nerds will keep you on the edge of your seat as you learn all about some of the craziest and most amazing yet largely unknown stories that fill Jewish history books. Find out what happened, how it happened, and why each story still matters today. Don't miss Jewish History Nerds Season 3, hosted by Yael Steiner and Jonathan Schwab. Find Jewish History Nerds wherever you listen to podcasts. Hey guys, it's Rich Davis from Cavino and Rich here to tell you the national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer. Making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new SUV, like an adventure-ready RAV4. Available with all-wheel drive, your new RAV4 is built for performance or any terrain from the road to the trails. And with plenty of passenger and cargo space, plus available tech like wireless charging, you and your entire crew could stay connected. Or check out a stylish and comfortable Highlander with three spacious rows of seating for up to eight passengers. And with available features like the panoramic moonroof, you could sit back and enjoy the wide open views with the whole family. Plus, both RAV4s and Highlanders are available in hybrid models, so no matter what your style, you could drive efficiently and save on gas. So visit your local Toyota dealer and check out amazing national sales event deals on RAVs, Highlanders, and more when you visit buyatoyota.com. Toyota. Let's go places. This really was just kind of par for the course. It was a sign of things to come. This, you know, these last stragglers, this last bastion of this uh, noble experiment that was the Camel Corps um, eventually also fizzled out. And the, and the Corps was officially disbanded in 1863. But, you know, the Camels were pretty good at what they were supposed to do. It's really not their fault that like they didn't you know wreck this whole thing it was really just kind of the tide of uh of of war and and the and the terrain right as after the civil war um the frontier wasn't as much of a thing anymore there wasn't as much of that rugged terrain that, that you needed uh something like a camel to traverse railroads were more of a thing technology uh that's like you know disruptive uh to things like horses and uh, also camels yeah, that's a good point. The camels did nothing wrong. Please stop blaming the camels, Civil War era military members. Only a few people really took the idea seriously, 
And it turns out that a lot of the officers who were opposed to the idea of a Camel Corps uh, were just being closed-minded. It's the same thing that happened when other military officers opposed the idea of aircraft just 70 years after this. It makes me think of that line in Wayne's World where the sleazy producer character played by an actor whose name I'm totally forgetting, but he was the really attractive dude from the 80s uh, who now has a podcast called Seriously. Uh, He was also in uh, Parks and Rec. Somebody help me out. I know you're screaming. You know everything about this guy except for his name. Except his damn name. Um, but he uh, he comes up on Garth while Garth is like doing this experiment, and uh, you know he's like, "So are you excited about bringing Wayne's World to the masses?" And then Garth just goes, "We fear change." Rob Lowe. <laughs> Rob Lowe. That's the guy. Rob Lowe. Oh uh, yeah. But you Those, know, yeah. so many hearts broke against uh, the rocky shores of that gaze. So, oh, and so, that ja- and that jagged jawline, my man. I mean, and he's a you know he he is a. I swear to God, he made a deal with the devil, or is like a secret vampire or something. The chin devil. He made a deal mm-hmm. with the chin devil. Agreed. Uh, which is like the other devil, but real. Anyway, that's an episode for another day. Yes, it is. the The point we're making here about the Camel Corps is that there was another factor at play: the Civil War engulfed the United States, and most of the war was fought heavily in the East. And in the eastern part of the U.S., railroads, rivers, and roads were already very well established as supply routes. We didn't need camels. You know what I mean? They were solving a problem we didn't have in that part of the world. But despite the fact that the camels themselves did nothing wrong, they became victims of politics. We cannot dismiss uh, this particular aspect of the story. The main champion of a camel corps was Jefferson Davis. Did he have a good idea? Yes, absolutely. Mm-hmm. At least when it came to camels, his ideas about the Confederacy were terrible. I was about to say, was he a good guy? <laughs> debatable. Right. <laughs> That's very kind of you to say debatable. But yeah, yeah, the point the point is, you know, on some level, people who controlled the purse strings of the nation were, were going to be biased against any ideas from Jefferson Davis, even if, like the camels, they were a good idea. Yeah, I mean, and, and that, this this whole idea of we fear change, you know, was absolutely a, a theme that kind of continued um, with things such as the something called the Balloon Corps. Mm-hmm. Um, there, there were a lot of innovative uh, kind of outside the box experiments. Uh, not to mention um, a, an incredible communication uh, development called the telegraph, and that was something that freaked people out too at the time. Or the invention of something called ironclads, mm-hmm. um, which was what was that? A type of ship? Am I am I right? Yeah, ironclads were these armored vessels. They were steam-propelled warships, essentially. And they had these iron or steel armor plates that would be on their, you know, their hull or covering the top of the ship. So they it was meant to uh solve the problem that wooden warships had, which is if you had explosive ordnance, uh the wooden ship would not last long. So they were a good idea as well, but to your point, they they didn't maybe get their time in the sun that they deserved. Uh, this was also, you know, shout out to Rachel Lance. Uh, this was an era of early submarining too, right? It absolutely was. What was it? The Hunley? That was That's the one right. that, uh, yeah, uh, with the weird little Flintstone kind of self-propelled like pedal situation. Seemed absolutely destined for failure, but a cool idea and obviously led to, to amazing innovations in uh, underwater craft. But maybe building it out of wood, not a particularly great idea, <laughs> right. you know, being that wood like leaks and, and you're, you know, submerging the entire thing um, kind of felt like a little bit of a rickety death trap to me. I I propose uh, with full humility here, and Rachel, I hope you're listening, that one of the greatest historical accomplishments of the Hunley was the creation years and years later of our Ridiculous History episode on it. Is that no? No, I think that's just self-aggrandizing enough to be absolutely correct. (laughs) So there we go. Uh, There we go. And when we think about the camels, we know that they got the they got the short end of the hump, I guess, mm-hmm, because mm-hmm. 
they didn't do anything wrong. Everybody who had used them under the circumstances they were designed to be used in found them pretty, pretty great. You know, Robert E. Lee thought they were swell. His Yelp review would have been five stars. Could have done without the bloody phlegm. Yeah. Okay. 4.5, 4.5 for the phlegm uh, and the smell. And so, as we know, the Civil War concluded. After the Civil War, the U.S. Army sold their camels, both the ones in Texas and the ones in California. And they also sold a bunch of young camels that were born here in the good old U.S. of A. Any number of people bought these fire sale camels, carnivals, of course, circuses, uh, mining operations. And my favorite, my favorite part, my favorite historical detail, there were apparently a few people who just said, I want to own a camel. You, you, can you just buy a camel? And then they bought them. Yeah. And then, and that's probably the one that I rode at the zoo. <laughs> it's probably timing matches up. Mm-hmm. Yep. You, you, oh, that's right. You did ride one at the zoo. <laughs> no, that's right. I think it, well, that camel would have been quite old uh, yeah. uh, if that was the one that I, that I had uh, sat astride. It could be descended from one of those. I mean, that's a good point, Ben. That's a good point. Again, I just, I pine for my camel license. Someone Photoshop a fake camel license for me. <laughs> I promise you I will print it out and put it in my wallet. You're, you're right, though, Noel. The camels entered a different career path, as a high school counselor would say. They were in zoos. They were in zoos. They were, they were private pets. And, uh, you know, some had an unfortunate end in, mining, in salt mining operations in Nevada. And others were just abandoned in Texas and Arizona, and they lived wild for a time until the settlers came in and killed them off by shooting them for fun. Oh boy, that's yeah. You know, I don't know. Were they eaten ever? It doesn't seem. That's, that's maybe they would. That wouldn't be. They seem very fatty and kind of uh, uh, scrawny uh, around the parts that you might eat. Yeah, in other cultures, camels have been consumed for food, but in the U.S., they were more. They were thought of more as a beast of burden, mm-hmm. which is which is interesting because. People will tell you that camel meat is delicious, that it tastes like a combination of lamb and beef, but with eating camel, just like real estate, it's all about location, location, location. You know, the fatty hump is going to taste different from, I guess, the trotters. That does sound kind of tasty, but I don't know. It's, it is it, it is one of those, what was it called, Ben? The meat paradox uh, right. kind of situation where it's like, are these uh, animals that, that we feel comfortable consuming or, uh, or are these even animals that we feel comfortable riding? Because there's actually a couple articles when I was doing some research on it's the history of camels, and I was honestly wondering if camels were still ridden in the desert. Oh, and yeah. It's much, yeah, they are for sure, but it's also much more of like a touristy kind of thing as well. Um, and this, art, this article on nomad uh, worldnomads.com asks the question, is it ethical to ride camels? Uh, the headline is, we ride horses, we don't ride elephants, except at the zoo. Occasionally there's elephant rides at the zoo, but is it okay to ride camels when traveling? And how can we assure that we're not harming them anyway? And then it goes through some, um, you know, details as to how to sit properly, as to not harm them. And, you know, PETA's kind of uh, position on the whole thing. But the most interesting thing that I came across in this article was just the stats on like how far they can travel and how much weight they can carry. An adult camel can apparently travel up to 25 miles a day and carry up to 1300 pounds and survive for 10 days without water. Might have been cool to put that up front in the show, but I just, I definitely want to impress on people. These are very uh, resilient animals and very powerful as well. And they're not as ungainly as you might think if you've just seen, you know, works of fiction or you've seen camels chillaxin, which they're very good at. I'm going to give them that. Camels can actually run 40 miles an hour. That's why camel racing is a hugely popular sport in Australia, uh, North Africa, Pakistan, Mongolia. Uh, people bet on it. People go just to watch the camel races. There's this whole amazing camel culture out there. And the U.S., uh, frankly, we missed our chance. Mm-hmm. We, we were so close. And it's not your fault if you're a camel listening to the episode today. It is not your fault at all that things didn't work out. I would love to see the rise of uh, more wild camels. There was a cryptid tale in here, too, because although camels were thought to have been largely sold or killed off, 
short in the years shortly after the Civil War, people were still reporting alleged camel sightings well into the 1940s. So there might be a cryptid camel out there today. All right. Well, I think that's a fun place to leave this uh, with a little bit of a mystery. Uh, and maybe uh, there's there's more in, in store for uh, the camel, the uh, the noble camel in, in this, our modern times. Um, huge thanks to Super Producer. You got to help me with this nickname, Ben. I keep losing it. This is our guest super producer, Andrew, a.k.a. Ahow, a.k.a. Cool Guy Deluxe, a.k.a. Mr. Magic Hours, Howard. Uh, I hope Casey is all right with us giving Andrew like five nicknames uh, (laughs) over the course of two episodes. Uh, And I can't wait to hear what sound cue you guys come up with. So thanks in advance for that. I hope Casey's feelings aren't hurt that we've just been showering Andrew with nicknames. I think Casey, <laughs> Casey only has two. He comes from a nickname economy, uh, but we'll, true. we'll we'll uh, we'll make it up to you, Casey. Uh, whether you want some new general nicknames, some audience suggestions, or some camel-specific nicknames, just let us know. Uh, thanks, as always, of course, to the Quister, aka Jonathan Strickland. Uh, we refer to him by both names so often that sometimes I forget which one is the real name and which one is the alias and which one is him playing a character and which one is actually him. He's a sly one. You know, he's uh, he's one of those dudes where the line between the the alter ego and the ego <laughs> just blurred completely. And I love him that way. I wouldn't have him any other way. Huge thanks to Christopher Hasiotis here in spirit. Our researcher extraordinaire, Gabe Luzier. Uh, who else we got? Alex Williams, who composed this theme? Mm-hmm. As well as our peer podcaster, Eve's Jeff Coat. Check out her show. And I would like to thank the Arabic language, Arabic speakers in the audience. Let me know if this is true. I recently read that there are more than 160 words in Arabic that mean some version of camel. So let me know. You can find us all over the internet, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, not just as a show, but as individuals. I am at How Now Noel Brown uh, on Instagram exclusively. I'm on Twitter occasionally as a lurker, but you don't really need to follow me there. Don't worry about that. Just stick with the Instagram. I am at Camel Core Rise Again on uh, Respect Live Journal and MySpace, but you can find me at Ben Bullen on Instagram, and you can find me at Ben Bullen HSW on Twitter, where I get into various misadventures. Uh, I think that's our show, man. But I, I really want to just hang out with a camel. (laughs) Same. We'll see you next time, folks. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Does money stress you out? Let FACET flip your financial chaos into clarity. Finding FACET immediately put us at ease. FACET's innovative approach to financial planning ensures your money works as hard as you do, enabling members to experience the joys of having your finances in order. That makes us FACET for life now, I guess. (laughs) Visit FACET.com, F-A-C-E-T.com to learn more. This ad is sponsored by FACET. FACET Wealth is an SEC-registered investment advisor. This is not an offer to buy or sell securities, nor is it investment, legal, or tax advice. These testimonials are from current FACET members who are not compensated. All opinions are their own and not a guarantee of a similar outcome. Did you know that most salads travel over 2,000 miles to reach your plate, but not with 80 Acres Farms? Their crisp salad greens and herbs are food less traveled, going from farm to store in days, not weeks. They stay fresher for longer in your fridge. My salad lasts all week long, which means less food waste and easy meal planning. Oh, and did I mention there's no need to wash these greens? Because 80 Acres Farms uses zero pesticides. Visit 80acresfarms.com to learn more and find their salads and salad kits at your local Harris Teeter. Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80, live March 20th from the Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City, featuring a performance by John Batiste. The all-new 2025 Infinity QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer.